So we're going to read, it's kind of a shortish passage. It's in Genesis, this is where I make sure that Ross told me the right verse, uh, 12, starting in verse 10. And I really love what Dale said last time. If you need a Bible, go ahead and snag one from the pew and take it home if you don't have one. That's, that was fantastic advice. So we're going to go from 12.10 to verse 13.1. So, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he, dwelt, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she is your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh sent men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all they had, and lot with him into the Negev. Apparently we're having some more technical problems here. So, so good to worship with you guys. I'm really reminded of that this morning. So good to worship when stuff works and when stuff doesn't work because uh, it reminds us that what we need is not stuff, it's God. And so it's really sweet to come into his presence this morning. It's really sweet to praise him together with you. Now, many of you know that my wife and me have a dog. Many of you have met Felix. He's aging, and his life is becoming more and more of a struggle as he gets older and older. He has a tougher time staying put at night. He, a couple weeks ago, he's wandering around in our bedroom in the middle of the night. His little nails are clacking on the wood floor at about 2 in the morning. I'm calling him back. Come on, buddy, come back. Come back. Don't, don't be out there in the dark. It is really dark in our room, like too dark even for a dog. A couple seconds later, I hear the boom, 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 boom through the bottom door of our stairs. He falls out, crashes on the floor, and I think, oh no, our dog just died. And so I go venturing out of bed, looking through the house, down there, and he's down there panting, waiting for me like nothing ever happened. Right? But it's almost catastrophic for him. It was almost catastrophic for us, right? In that moment, Felix thought that he was wiser than master, and it almost cost him his life, right? It's just a little example of a bigger problem that all of us have, 
which is that there are moments where we don't do what God has said. There's some way in our lives every one of us are struggling with not doing what God has said, which means that in that area, we think we're wiser than God. Right? If you, if you truly thought that God was wiser than you, truly thought he knew what was best for you in every situation, none of us would ever disobey him ever, but there are moments where we think that we are wiser than God, and if we live that way, it can kill us forever. Now, this is a problem that Abram, the father of faith, had. We're going to see that in this story. It almost has devastating consequences, not only for him and his family, but for the whole world. Right? What, what he does in this story not only jeopardizes himself, it actually almost jeopardizes everyone and everyone who's ever lived by putting the promises of God in jeopardy. This is the story that we're going to hear about this morning, and then we're going to hear how God steps in and is faithful to a man who is faithless and establishes and restores his promises even when Abram has failed. So just to catch us up to our context of where we've been so far, you guys have heard this the last couple of weeks, but in case anyone's new, just a quick refresher. So we left off last fall at the Tower of Babel, a tower that the, nations, that the one nation built against God. God comes down and he scatters them across the face of the earth into all the different nations. At that point, there are all sorts of different ethnicities, all sorts of different peoples. They're separated from God. They're separated from one another. They're with hope and they're dying. There is no hope for the nations at the end of Genesis 11 until we get to Genesis 12 when God calls one pagan named Abram to leave his home in Babel to go on a journey to a land he'd never seen or heard of before armed only with the promises of God and through those promises God had declared that he was going to make a mighty nation through him and through that nation he's going to rescue all the peoples of the world. So God's using one pagan man who doesn't deserve to be used to rescue all the peoples of the world scattered from Babylon, and all he has are promises. Right? He goes on this journey. All he has are promises. He shows up in Canaan. Other nations possess Canaan. They're fortified. He's just one man and one family. And when he shows up, God says, I'm going to give you this land, Abram. It looks impossible. It'd be like you showing up in Minnesota and God telling you, you're going to conquer all of Minnesota. You'd be like, what? what? I don't think I can do that, nor should you try. <laughs> but I don't, it, it would feel impossible. And so here's this landless immigrant, isolated and alone in this foreign land with people who don't speak his language, don't have his customs. A lot of them are hostile to him. And all he has are God words, God's words that God's going to make it right one day. So God's promises fueled and sustained Abram on this climactic, dramatic journey from Babel to Canaan. Right? He has this huge journey. God's promises fuel him. Now he's got to do life in Canaan when things are not like he would expect them to be, when life is hard. And we're going to see how he does in the day-to-day -day grind of life. Okay? So that's where we, where we get to now. We're going to find Abraham in the day-to-day -day grind of life. And if you're here this morning and not yet a follower of Jesus, so happy you're here. Ask that as you hear these stories with us, that God would speak to you too and call you into a relationship with him 
because the same kind of faithfulness he has to Abraham is the kind of faithfulness he wants to show to every single one of us. So let's hop into Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. We just got three quick points. Abraham disbelieves God's promises, point one. Point two, Abram leaves God's land. And point three, God brings Abram and his family home. So let's start now with point one. Abram disbelieves God's promises. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. So Abram shows up at this land that God had promised him, probably expecting big things. And what he finds is a famine. I've never faced a famine. Many people in the world face a famine. This is not a small thing. This would be a big thing. This could lead to an agonizing and slow death. And it's not a small famine. The word says that it's a great famine. And so immediately when Abram arrives, after he had tried to do everything he could do to follow God, he finds himself facing a test and facing resistance. I don't know if any of you ever feel that, when you feel like you're just trying to do exactly what God has told you to do, and you think it should be easy because you're trying to do what God has told you to do, and you just feel like there's resistance as you're trying to do what he told you to do. That's exactly what Abram feels here. You see, Abram's facing a test. And what tests do is they reveal your heart. So often when we fail, we look to our circumstances and say, well, that's what caused me to fail. That's what caused me to not follow God. What texts like this remind us of is that circumstances actually reveal what's already inside our heart. So we just saw Abraham have a massive success in his journey from Babel to Canaan. And now we're going to see him have a failure, and his failure is going to show us things about his heart and show us things about our hearts. Remember, our circumstances don't cause us to fail. Our circumstances only reveal what's in our hearts already. So Abram is here in this land, and he feels immediate pressure to leave, right? He feels pressure to leave. I bet if you went on a journey and you arrived somewhere, and you were starving, would you not go looking for food, like in the next town over or something like that? It makes sense, right? Unless God had told you to go somewhere. He said in chapter 12, go to this land I will show you, and he had never told you to go anywhere else. If you look at the text right now, God never tells Abram to leave Canaan and go to Egypt. That's something that Abram decides to do. It says that he went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And so I think as we're reading this, we're supposed to think, for the first time in the story, Abram's not doing what God wanted him to do. He's doing something else. And as the story goes on, it's going to further and further confirm that for the present moment, he ceased to live according to God's wisdom and started to live according to its own, and we're going to see what that, where that leads him. I think it's astonishing that he doesn't disbelieve God in the moment of, test, of dramatic testing. Like, he goes on the big journey, but rather it's in the day-to-day -day grind of a hard season that he falls. I wonder how many of you 
would make a gigantic sacrifice for God, even right now if he showed up and asked you to do it, but you're struggling to follow him in the day-to-day grind of life, and you find yourself failing in the day-to-day hardships and uncertainties of life as relationships test you, as your job tests you, as the pain in your body tests you, as weaknesses test you? Are you failing in the moment-by-moment, day-to-day trials that you have to live through again and again and again, day after day after day? When Abram woke up, it was famine again. And he woke up, it was famine again. When he woke up, it was famine again. And oftentimes, it's not the huge moments that test us as much as the day-to-day temptations that keep hitting us every morning when we wake up. Some of us this morning might be losing a sense of hope in God each day. Some of us this morning might be in a habit of giving in to little temptations or big temptations to ease our pain, emotional or physical. Some of us might be wandering through life with a sense of aimlessness, purposelessness, anxiety, and depression. And these things are sapping us away from our God just as the day-to-day struggles that Abram was feeling in Canaan would have been drawing him away from God. This story is a test of endurance. And if you find yourself this morning in a test of endurance in your faith, which quite frankly is all of us in this fallen world, isn't it? If you find yourself in a test of endurance, this is a story for you and it's a story for me. So verse 11 then picks up the story and shows us how Abraham continues responding in this situation. Let's look now. Let's look at the next verses in the story. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a beautiful woman in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill you. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. These are some really sad words from Abram. Right, this is chapter 12. This is a hero you look up to. And then you read this, and you just, it's sad. It's sad how he responds in this situation and how he treats the person who he's supposed to love, care, and protect more than anyone else in life. Anytime you are making a life direction for yourself or for your loved ones, and your reasoning starts with the words, I know, you're headed for trouble. Anytime you are setting your life direction for yourself and your loved ones, and your planning starts with the thought, I know something, you're headed for trouble. This part of the story right here is exploding with vocabulary from Genesis chapter 3 when Abram's first parents, Adam and Eve, fail. This is that story all over again. In the beginning, there is a tree for knowing good and evil. Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 17. There is a beautiful woman Adam is supposed to protect. Genesis 1.23. And God had created a world that was very good. Genesis 1.31. 
in contrast, in this story, Abram is trying to make things very good for himself by neglecting the beautiful woman he is supposed to protect, all because he's making decisions according to what he knows. He's Adam all over again, living as if he's wiser than God, and himself and other people are suffering the consequences. But you should imagine himself as if he's, you should imagine him as if he's standing before that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The decision to take fruit from that tree is symbolic of seizing Seizing the right to decide what's right and wrong for yourself. That's what it is to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. To reach out and to seize the decision of what's right and wrong for yourself. Whereas not eating that tree from that tree and standing before it with open hands and open hearts is waiting on God to define what's right and wrong for you. That was the first test in the garden. That's a test that determines if you truly trust God or not is if he, rather than you, defines what's good and right for you. And we see that Abram, in this moment, is facing that same test over and over again. And he's about to fail in the same way that his first parents failed before him. And if we have eyes to see and hearts to understand, we would recognize that every day when we wake up, we stand before that same tree, we have that same test, and we have to decide if we're going to seize and determine what's right and wrong for ourselves, or if we're going to not take that fruit and let God determine what's right and wrong for us. Abram steps in the place of God by determining what's right and wrong rather than God. So every time, right, and this is me too, whenever we do what we think is right opposed to what God says is right, whether we're thinking about it or not, we're taking a step into God's place and saying we're the center of the universe rather than him, and we get to decide what's right and wrong. And when you look at it that way, sin is not just a mistake we make, it's treason against our creator. It's personal. It's a personal treason. So that's one reason why when we read what Abram's saying here, we should not be like, oh, that makes sense, but that's horrible. That's horrible. Do you ever see this same heart of fallenness in yourself. Right? Some area in your life where God has said one thing and you have determined that something else is better or wiser or more advantageous for you. When we read the stories of these characters in the Bible, we see their successes and we see their failures because they're reflections of us. They're reflections of our own hearts. And so as you read this story about Abram and see him fail, we should see all of our failures, all of the ways that we fall short. Because God is showing us in his word. He not only shows us himself, but he shows us ourselves. And it's only when we see ourselves rightly that we can reach out to him and hope in him. And so this is a mercy to us this morning, that he's coming close to us and showing us ourselves, showing us our hearts that like to displace him and put ourselves at the center of the universe so that we can know that we need something outside of ourselves. Family, we must increasingly surrender ourselves to the will of God in every area of our lives, lest we find ourselves opposing our own God. We must increasingly surrender ourselves in every area of our lives, lest we find ourselves opposing God.
something else from this story I want us to see? Why don't you please take a look back at these verses? There's an emotion that Abram's having that's motivating him to say, to lie about his wife and say, and say this is my sister. What emotion, and you can just shout it out if you figure it out, what emotion is motivating Abram to lie to protect himself? Fear. Fear. Fear is in the driver's seat of Abram's heart at this moment. How many of you guys have seen the movie Inside Out? Right, there's this, there's this little girl, and she's got these little people in her head who represent her emotions, and they take turns driving. And there's one emotion that's like joy, and this represents her in her healthy state. And whenever she gets in her unhealthy state, another emotion takes over and starts driving. And in this story, right, Abram, joy, faith, trust in God was driving him as he journeyed. And we see here that at this moment of failure, joy and confidence, trust in God gets out of the driver's seat, and fear gets in, in its place. In discipleship with other people in my, in my own Christian life, I've noticed that little else besides fear is as crippling to ordinary people living the ordinary Christian life. Fewer things are completely devastating to the Christian life as fear. Now, why is that? Because when fear takes over and starts making decisions for us, it's our heart's way of saying that our circumstances are more significant than what God has said. When fear takes over and sits in the driver's seat and starts making decisions for us, it's our heart's way of saying that our circumstances and our situation is more significant than what God has said. When it's fearful to break off a relationship, you need to break off. To leave a, a job, you need to leave. To cut off an addiction, you need to cut off. And you don't know what will come next. And you don't know how you can do it. And fear compels you to keep staying in the same sin that you've been living in. Right? They will keep you from following Jesus. It's exactly what we see here in Abram's life. He's supposed to protect his wife above all else. He's supposed to keep her safe. And he's sacrificing her for his own good because he's afraid. My friends, fear will destroy you if you let it rule you. Fear will keep you from following Jesus if you let it rule you. This man is in a battle with life and death, but it's not between him and Pharaoh. It's between his faith and his fear. And all of us this morning are in that same fight. Our fear will keep us from Jesus if it is more powerful than faith. Because faith asks us to do things that make us afraid. Obedience calls us to do things that we're not familiar with. You can think of Abram's journey to this land as symbolic of obedience. He has to go to a place he completely does not understand and is not familiar with. If we're growing in obedience to Jesus... By definition, we're not familiar with it yet. If we're not doing it yet, and we're growing in that direction. And it takes faith and courage to follow Jesus to become new people who obey in any and every circumstance and are not ruled by fear, but by faith. 
right? Abram is armed with these promises that God will give him this land, that he'll care for him. And in Abram's judgment, the famine was more significant than God's words. The Egyptians were more powerful than God's words. And he failed and did not protect the woman he was supposed to protect. Abram's view of God was small and shrunken, like Eve. He saw big circumstances, little God. Right? So if the circumstances are bigger than God, which one are you going to fear? Circumstances. His circumstances were big, and in his eyes, his God was small, and so he was ruled not by his God, but by his circumstances. Which means, church, that our fight this morning to obey is not a fight of willpower, it's a fight to see more. Our vision of God is small because our hearts are fallen. And we need to plead together for the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our heart so that we see God as monumental, as large, as in control, as good, as loving, and our circumstances as small and insignificant. Your boss is not your God. The one who made this world is is your God. And wherever this morning you're feeling threatened and tempted and afraid to see something else as more significant than God, pray to him, open the eyes of my heart. I need to see a God who's bigger than the thing that's trying to make me sin. And he will. We need to stop looking at the amount of money in our bank accounts, our sense of loneliness or purposelessness, or the pain we feel when a brother or sister sins against us or doesn't love us like we expect them to. All of those things can send us reeling. And yet none of those things should determine our actions. This text is a warning to us. It's a warning. The warning is don't go down to Egypt. Remain in Canaan. Remain in Canaan. Canaan was a place that would have been difficult to live in. It would have been a place of little provision until God provided. And yet it was a place where God's presence and God's pleasure was. And so he should have stayed. And my encouragement to us this morning is that if you're on a journey away from Canaan, turn around and head back. Head back to doing the things God wants you to do, no matter how hard or difficult it might be. Let's move on to point two. Point one is Abram disbelieves God's promises. Point two, Abram leaves God's land for Egypt. When Abram, verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So Abram brings his wife into Egypt, depriving her of all her protection. She would have been protected if they knew that he was her husband, but he brings her, uh, an unmarried woman, into a foreign land, as immigrants with less protection, less privileges, less defenses than anyone else would have had. And so he exposes her to mistreatment. And that's exactly what the Egyptians do. Do you see that? They, re- they take her. <laughs> it's, it's the same language from Genesis 3. They take Sarai into Pharaoh's house. Abram was wrong, right? He's wrong to lie about his wife. And Pharaoh's going to complain about that later. And 
Pharaoh and the Egyptians were also wrong just to seize a woman who'd wandered into their land and put her in the most powerful person's harem. Everyone's sinning in this situation. Right? This describes our world. People, sinners sinning against other sinners, and we have to try to follow God in the midst of that. And what we see here are the disastrous consequences of his unbelief. Abram's wife is now another man's wife because of his unbelief. The woman Abram was supposed to protect is taken from him. And I would just have you guys consider this morning that if you're on a path towards disobedience, to consider not only your own self, but your brothers and sisters around you. Sin always has unintended consequences. And it usually brings harm and destruction to people we never thought it would. Right? The temptations that you allow into your life might become the very thing that tempts another brother or sister into the same thing that destroys them. The lack of encouragement of your life following Jesus might be the very encouragement they need to keep following Jesus. And yet you're not there because you're being tempted. Let us consider not only ourselves, but also our brothers and sisters when we fight against our temptations and know how Abram should have considered his own wife when he was fighting against his. Now, at this point in the story, all of God's promises are in jeopardy. Right? He promised to give Abraham a great nation. He promised to save the world through that nation. There's no nation. If he doesn't have a wife, there's no offspring. If they can't return home from Egypt, there's no land. There's no nothing. You guys see the problem? And if this is how the story ends, not only Abram is dead in his sins, but everyone's dead in their sins. Like, it's all over at this point. If the salvation of human beings was up to people rather than God, it's all over right here, right now. This is where the story ends. Game over. But thankfully, that is not the God we worship or follow. And he's more faithful than us. He's faithful when we, even when we're faithless. And that's precisely how we're going to see him react now. Point three is God brings Abram and Sarai safely home, even though they don't deserve it. Let's read these verses together. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai. Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. God called Abram to be a blessing to the nations, and here he's a curse to them in his disobedience. And, we'll, and God has called us to be a blessing to the nations around us. And as we believe God and trust his promises, we'll be a blessing. And as we disobey, we'll be a curse as we falsely represent Jesus to them. At this moment of desperation, in the mire and sin and dirt that Abram had put himself into, God steps in and intervenes. God steps in and is faithful when Abram is faithless. Which is good news for us because there are moments and days where we're faithless and our whole lives are faithless and God had to step in and rescue us, didn't he? When Abram fails, 
God brings plagues against Pharaoh and compels him to make Sarai go. He reminds, God reminds Abram that he, the promise maker, is more significant than any of the situations or circumstances Abram faces. Abram faces a Pharaoh. He can't defeat this Pharaoh, but God can. His arm is not shortened and it cannot save. And he reaches down and he smites this sinner with his power. This man who's standing in the way of worldwide blessing. This man who is wickedly and selfishly taking advantage of a vulnerable woman. God says, no, enough. I will protect my promises of my people. And he comes down against him with plagues and compels him to let Sarai go. Pharaoh rightly complained to Abram. Why did you say she was your sister? Right? It's probably the most valid thing he says in the whole story. Right? It's a fair point. And yet it does not excuse him just seizing a vulnerable woman who has immigrated to his country. And, and he justly suffers the consequences for unwittingly standing against God's purposes to bless all the nations. This ruler is unable to stop God. Pharaoh is unable to stop God. And I just want to remind you this morning, once again, that if you are struggling to believe that God can do what he's promised to do, just remember the story of him smiting the most powerful ruler in that region of the world, and in an instant he's pleading with Abram to please take his wife and go. These stories are meant to wake us up to the bigness and power of our God when we tend to go to sleep and let our culture and world tell us what's important. He's more important. He's bigger. He can smite Pharaoh, and he can smite your sin. He can smite your idols. He can smite your temptations and set you free. So please go to him today. Don't let something else control you. Don't let another master get a hold of your life and lead you to, to sin and death. Okay. Does this story sound familiar to anyone? God's people go to Egypt. They get captured there. God brings plagues against the Egyptians, and the Egyptians let them go. Does that sound familiar to anyone? That happens, again, a couple hundred years later, when Moses comes to all the people in captivity in Egypt and with 10 plagues, I don't know how many plagues there were here, 10 plagues, and Pharaoh says, you can go. Now think for a minute, why would this story repeat itself? Isn't that interesting how the Bible works? It's the exact same thing happens over and over again. The story is trying to teach us that what happened here is not what God did, but what God does. By repeating the story, that God is teaching us that this is not a story of what God did, but what God does. One author calls this a promise-shaped pattern. So when you read the Bible, your, your confidence in God's faithfulness should grow and grow. And one way your confidence grows is by reading the actual promises he makes. Another way is by seeing the things that he does again and again and again. And as we read this book together, and as we follow this God together, as he delivers us again and again and again in history and in our lives, our confidence in him grows. This is how John Failhammer puts it. 
behind the pattern stands a faithful, loving God. What he has done with Abram, he will do for his people today and tomorrow. The God who smited this Pharaoh so that he could go free is the God who is with you today to help you through your deepest temptation right now. Right now. He is bigger and mightier and ready to help you and set you free from the temptation that is trying to lead you astray. God never fails to provide. We never have to take matters into our own hands. And when we do, we can repent. The main point I have for us this morning is that our God, he's actually trustworthy enough that we can do everything he's ever told us, even when we don't understand, and it will always be for our good. That's a little long, so I'll say it again. Our God is actually trustworthy enough that we can do everything he's ever said, even when we don't understand. And it will always be for our good. The test comes when you don't understand, and then you do it anyway, and God provides. That's what Abram was supposed to do. That's what he failed to do, but that's what God delivered him from and invites us into. Now, this pattern keeps escalating in Scripture, right? Until it gets even beyond Moses and the Egyptians and gets to Jesus. And when we get to Jesus, he actually has plagues directed in his life. But they're directed not against his enemies, but against him. And what Jesus is saying and what Jesus did is that he's going even a step further than this story. And he's saying, I'm going to take the plagues for my enemies so that they can become my friends. You know, when we read this story, we tend to identify with Abram. But actually, we're more aligned with the Egyptians. We're one of the nations. We're born in the sin. We're born in opposition and rebellion against God. And so we're opposing him, and we're worthy of plagues. And then when Jesus comes, after all these things happen, he receives the plagues in the place of his people who come to him so that no matter who you are, what you've done, or where you come from, you can become his child, and you can be rescued. So I just want to invite anyone this morning Seriously, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, he took the plagues in your place so that you could follow him. So please don't. Don't stay in your sin, but come to him. His arms are open wide, and he's welcoming you. Come and follow him. And those of us who trust him already can start living according to all he's promised us. We can start living right now, today, according to everything that he's promised us. You and I can go on sacrificially loving other Christians and opening our homes to believers and unbelievers alike when we sacrifice our time, our comfort, and our pocketbooks to tell others about Jesus, he's promised to give us more than we've ever sacrificed in this life and the life to come, Mark 10, 29. You and I can leave our secret sin behind, our secret addiction or relationship behind, or a dishonest way of gaining wealth behind because God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. And we could do this all day. There are promises that are there to sustain and strengthen you in any situation you face. And if you're struggling right now to know what God is wanting you to do in his word, there's a community of Bible interpreters here. 
That's literally what this is. This is a community of spirit-filled Bible interpreters. And the Bible does not give direct commands to every situation, but it gives wisdom that applies to every situation. And there's no better interpreter of, his, of God's will than God's word under God, God's people under God's word reading his Bible together. So family, we can. We can follow Jesus, not by our own strength, but by his strength. We can do what he's told us to do by his power and what Jesus has done for us. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you that it's not just what you have done, but it's what you are doing. And I ask that myself and all of us who are struggling to believe in your faithfulness today would grow and put all of our confidence in you. And would that look like a complete, unrestrained obedience of you in every area of life that's accompanied by your joyful presence and empowerment. We don't pray for more willpower. We pray for more sight of who you are and how good you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.